People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. I'm flying solo uh, today. Uh, Stephen's on location directing a film, and he's doing what he loves to do. We're going to miss him, but we're going to push through. Uh, today, we have a very special guest. His name is John Gowan, and he's a patient services coordinator for the ESRD Network of Texas. He's going to talk to us about a very serious topic today, and uh, we need to know a little bit more about it, and it's really serious if it's happening to you, and it's involuntary discharge. Um, involuntary discharge is when um, you, for whatever reason, are having some kind of dispute with your dialysis unit, and they know longer want to provide services for you. So he's going to tell us um, what we can do, what's kind of happening on a national level to help prevent um, and, you know, really understand how we can prevent involuntary discharges and make sure that you have the information to know what you can do in case you and your dialysis facility are having a dispute. So welcome to the show, John. Hi, Lori. How are you? You have a really strong accent. What part of the South are you from? Well, I grew up in Louisiana, and now I live in Texas. Oh, okay, so, uh, and you work for the ESRD Network? Correct. I worked for the ESRD Network full-time up until April, and now I'm a, uh, a part-time uh, patient services coordinator, which means I'm the social worker for the Network of Texas. Today we're talking about involuntary discharge, and, you know, a lot of people listening probably haven't heard that term. They probably hear, uh, I got kicked out of my unit, or I might get kicked out of my unit, but the official term is involuntary discharge. Tell us a little bit about how involuntary discharge is created within a facility and how the policy is developed. Well, each each company has a grievance policy uh, that uh, needs to be followed. Oftentimes patients uh, get into trouble for various reasons. Uh, compl- what kind of reasons? I mean, what kind of reasons can people get in trouble for other than, you know, maybe not showing up? Not showing up for their treatment, cutting their treatment times on a very, you know, consistent and chronic basis. Those are the probably the two biggest reasons and then not following any aspect of the treatment plan, the prescription uh, provided by the physician and the dialysis facility. So when I think of involuntary discharge, I think like the professional and the patient are getting into a fight or something, you know, like they get into an argument. Is it usually because of that or is it because the patient simply is not showing up? It sounds like the patient's depressed to me. Um, but is that, uh, is it usually because of conflict or just because the patient isn't showing any interest in taking care of themselves? The majority of the involuntary discharges probably come from a conflict there in the facility between the patient and the provider. It's probably the larger portion of the involuntary discharges. The other piece, the non-compliant aspect of care, is one piece of it. But when patients and providers get into conflict, oftentimes uh, it's a blow-up in the facility where due to you know, multiple factors that uh, a situation occurs, 
and the facilities at that point can make a decision to discharge a patient involuntarily. Most of the time it's either a verbal threat uh, or a threat of physical violence or something along such as that. So the professional actually feels threatened. Correct. Is that the majority of involuntary discharges that you hear about? Because basically they call the network, right, when this is usually going on. Is that normally the course of action? Looking over the last, I can just speak to um, recent, uh, I, I, you know, across the board, one of the largest uh, number of discharges, I'd have to say, based on my experience, has been a threat of uh, either physical or verbal threat. Well, and, you know, you think about it because it's interesting. I know some patients who've, who've been told that, you know, you got to get your act together or we're going to give you a notice. or we, you, And they get very afraid. But a lot of times it's because they're having a mental breakdown. Kidney disease becomes way too much for them, and they don't know how to handle the myriad of emotions. And I know that with, you know, when I was on dialysis, you know, your dialysis unit does become your family. So it's like you treat the people you sometimes care about, you vent your frustrations. And it's hard because I think the patients forget that, you know, this is a business and you're getting service there and they have the right to refuse you service. Do you think that that's explained to patients um, well in advance? Do you think they understand that? I think that there's an attempt to explain to patients uh, what the policy and procedures are of the facility upon admission. But as you can tell probably better than I, that when a patient's admitted to, the, to a dialysis facility, especially initially in the, in the first, we know, um, you know they're probably much sicker, higher uremia, uh, just don't feel well. So even if a, uh, a patient was educated on that aspect of the treatment, uh, you, you know, the chances of them, you know, remembering and, and fully understanding all of those consequences of their behavior is questionable. So I would say that maybe that they were educated, but often may not, you know, know the true consequences until a situation has occurred. Oftentimes there's a patient care conference at that point if, uh, if the threat of the patient per- towards the facility is not deemed a physical or threat to staff or another patient because they can kick them out immediately at that point. But generally speaking, most discharges, uh, patients are given a 30-day notice. So then the patient has to go find another facility. Now, to my understanding, like if you're with one provider, you can't go to that provider again. You have to go to another provider, correct? If you are discharged, is that normally the policy that you see? Like if I went to um, ABC dialysis, um, I couldn't go to another ABC dialysis in the same town. It would have to be a different... Well, the corporations say that there's not corporate lockout, but based on the experience that I've seen, if a patient is kicked out of ABC dialysis facility, to go down the road to another ABC dialysis facility is probably not likely because it's often uh, the same physician group would probably be managing those two facilities. Do we say it never occurs? It can happen that they can go to another another facility, um, but... I have seen that's kind of the policy. The policy. And whose decision is it? Is it the medical directors? Is it the facility, the provider, or is it the patient's physician? Who has the say in the involuntary discharge? Who has the say? I think that kind of depends on, that's really a case-by-case basis. Um, The medical director in each facility has the ultimate decision on who uh, can be admitted to that individual facility. Um, 
So that's the answer you know, as far as that. I mean, but it, I mean, really to say who in each case, there's probably a, a different scenario based on the situation. So what do you do? Okay, so I've had a, a conflict with my facility and things aren't going so well. What do I do? Because I could get this notice then how do you rectify it? If they give you a 30-day notice, do they, okay, I'll give you a second chance, but what can I do as a patient or a family member of a patient make sure that this doesn't happen? And I know that it's not you know, rampant in this country, but if it's happening to you, it's really serious because it's life and death. Right. I mean, it what becomes a, patient- a life and death issue. Right. What can a patient do? I think the first thing that patients can do, along with the provider, because this is a two-way relationship. It's like a marriage of sorts. And the patient and the provider have to have open communication. Uh, Each uh, side of that, both the patient and the provider, need to discuss what's going on with them initially. I think you're right. Many times the patients that we're seeing being involuntarily discharged from facilities oftentimes do have a psychiatric component to that. And uh, to and then access to care, those types of issues also arise with patients. So, but I think communication, communication, communication is the best remedy to uh, preventing uh, uh, an involuntary discharge situation. And that can be hard to do because you don't even know how to communicate. I mean, people say, okay, you got to have good communication, but. I know it's difficult because it's like, well, what do I communicate? You know, I just need dialysis. Take right. care of me. And they don't understand that, you know, they need to explain that, you know, transportation's a huge issue. So it may be a problem of um, conflict with family members and trying to get a ride there or not having transportation. And it's really hard to, when you don't have transportation, to make an appointment three times a week. Yeah. Although it's in your best interest because... You know, you get the more dialysis you get, the better you you are. But it's also crazy that um, at the same time, you know, they don't provide transportation, and you know, you can't pay for everything either. And so it's really complicated. And dialysis is a business, so you know they're paying for staff, and when that space isn't taken up, it costs money. And so those are some of the issues that patients got to remember, that it is a business and they need to treat it like they're a customer and ask for what they need so that the facility does want to provide you health care. They do want to help you out, but they don't know how to keep you happy. I think the patient needs to know that they're a customer, but also um, I'm a big proponent in professionalism and treating the patient as a customer also. Exactly. And, and this is a this is wherein lies the the issue where we have patients' rights and then patients' responsibilities and then also the physicians' rights and the in the the company's rights as a business you know to provide this service. And it's where the crossroads meet oftentimes is where we um, have some of the, the bigger situations. And, you know, I think sometimes I've heard from some professionals, because I speak all over, that, you know, some of them really respect all the time that it takes out of a patient's day, and they see it, but then they're like, well, oh, like, it's like just, you know, you try to go to dialysis three times a week and taking, on average, 23 medications a day. It is really hard, and I actually think a lot of the patients who, patients who are on dialysis, period, are extremely courageous. I mean, just to get them to get up every day and make the choice to go to dialysis into an environment that may not be very excited to see them. And, you know, you think about that, you take a step back and you think, wow, how many, how many people can do that? 
You know, who would, you know, if you went to a gym three times a week and you went there and people didn't want you there and, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, what would be the motivation? So I think that they underestimate how much courage it takes to get up. And, you know, I've been into, you know, a lot of healthcare appointments. You walk in and you're invisible. They don't see you. And you just want somebody to see your pain. You want somebody to say, look, I'm hurting. I don't feel good. And you want somebody to acknowledge that. And a lot of times that's what makes you mad is nobody's seeing you. And so things escalate from there. And it's really unfortunate. But, you know, to the healthcare professionals, if you're listening out there is that and you hear this, but, you know, we're people and we have the same exact feelings and we may not be that great at handling them on many I think occasions. You're right. I think <laughs> that uh, patients need to be seen as, I mean, really it's value. I mean, it's value that the folks come to the facility and uh, from, the, from the provider side to uh, understand that this is a challenge every day to get up and come to this dialysis facility, to have these large needles put into your arm and sit there for four hours. That's quite a challenge for anybody to take on. And then you're only getting three to four hours max, uh, generally speaking, uh, on dialysis three times a week where my kidneys are working fine 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So even what we call optimal dialysis in the U.S. Adequate. Adequate. It's a big, it's optimal, a big beef with me. They only call it uh, adequate dialysis, But what we call delivering, you know, great <laughs> dialysis for the patient in this country, uh, I think, is, is questionable, too, because we all know that more dialysis, uh, more frequent dialysis is much better than the, the 12 hours, hours a week that is the prescription of choice. Well, and you know what's really interesting is that, and this has been told to me by many people, is that when you are on dialysis, there's a chemical imbalance happening, and you don't think as clearly. And when you're uremic, you don't think as clearly. So you're at a disadvantage right there. One of the questions I have is, what are some of the signs that could help me understand if communication isn't that great? You know, because I might just not be aware of it. I think it's your perception. I mean, if you perceive uh, a situation in the facility where you're, like you were saying, you don't feel welcome there, or you feel like that the communication between you and the provider is strained at best, then that's all you really need is, I mean, if, if it's your perception that this is not a, a, a adequate or an optimal relationship with who's providing the care, then I think it needs to be addressed. Uh, the social worker, which I, that's what I am, a social worker, uh, that's the kind of issues that are oftentimes for first directed at the facility social worker. Uh, every facility out there should be trained in decreasing patient-provider conflict and to, to learn those education and uh, skills regarding communication with patients. So if it's your perception that something's not right, then it's probably not right. Well, the network, um, the ESRD networks, there's 18 of them across the country. They give a presentation to professionals called... Um, it, the program it? is called Decreasing, Decreasing Patient <laughs> Provider Conflict. That was a program funded by CMS uh, several years ago. I think it, it was uh, the program was sent to every facility in the United States approximately four years ago. Well, and, you know, it's so important because you have one conflict. You basically get your 30-day notice... So do you contact, does the network help you find another facility? Is that one of the jobs of the network? I mean, what does a patient do if they get this notice, 30 days? Who helps them? Well, that's with the new rules, um, with the new conditions that covered 
that came out, that's one of the required mandates, that if, if a facility has a involuntary discharge, they, they have to notify the network. And what the optimal goal would be is that the network can hopefully uh, intervene on that situation and maybe uh, rectify prior to the actual discharge date. But the the facility social worker should be calling on behalf of the patient to try to get that patient placed in another facility. Um, but if all else fails, the network would assist in that. They try to find them. And have you ever had a situation where you can't find the patient, a place to dial There are patients, as we speak, going to emergency rooms because no one else will take them. And, and well, just we think know of the, the mortality rates. Um, yeah, they know, don't last very long, I can imagine, if you're just going to a dial because they wait until you're really sick to dialyze you, right? Right. Just because you show up at the emergency room needing dialysis does not mean you're going to get dialysis. It's based on uh, the lab values that are drawn. So, correct, people are turned away if they don't meet certain... Um, Certain really bad criteria, like a right. what yeah. potassium before, right before your heart stops. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's really a critical situation. <laughs> critical so situation. It, well, you know that brings me, uh, you know, to one of the questions that the patients that are being involuntary discharged, if they don't get a hold of the network, who's representing them? I mean, you know, I'm thinking that if I'm in a in a facility and you know, hopefully the network, but if I get an involuntary discharge before they get to the network, who's advocating on my behalf? Because it's, it's difficult because I might not, I might be so emotional that I can't even defend myself. And when you think about a court of law, <laughs> you don't defend yourself because you're usually going to go to prison. <laughs> Right. Because you're, you're, you you can't, you know, mount a good defense. So your question is, who would advocate for the patient uh, on behalf of the patient prior to being discharged? Yeah. I, I mean, mean it, while the patient's still in the facility and they're still admitted to that facility, then the facility has a responsibility to assist the patient in any way possible. And just because they've got 16 days left on a 30-day notice, uh, the facility still has responsibility for the patient to try to get that patient placed. But so. I said just even before I get the 30-day discharge, I, I was thinking that, you know, who comes in as the media? Because some of these things could potentially be resolved. I guess the ESRD network is supposed to be there to help represent the patient. But, you know, I'm trying to make sense of it all because it does seem that unless the patient finds you to defend them, well, the, um, does all the facility networks... defend? Um, does the, the facility bring the patient services person into the picture before they discharge them? Who is helping the patient before they're discharged? Well, say we don't know about it. Say the network has not been called on a situation like that. What you know, every facility should have a, a grievance procedure, and they should follow that procedure. And I'm just going to say, this is generally speaking, that right. if if there's a situation that's happened in the facility, oftentimes the patient will file an internal complaint before the, to see if the whatever company they're with will, will follow that and try to get that situation rectified. So oftentimes we don't hear about uh, the case. So I would say uh, this has been my experience that probably an area manager or a, you know, a, a person that would be kind of a, a regional representative for the company, uh, if, it's a, if it's a larger company or a, a manager uh, at some level higher than the facility staff would probably come in to try to, uh, and then I see where that's you know, unbalanced as it is. 
Yeah, um, well, I'm just trying to think about it. It's like, you know, they don't represent me. Or they're not I neutral. Well, I mean, the thing, the, I think the key word is, is you need a neutral party. Because I'm going to feel like... It would be me, like, complaining against my boss. Well, I'm the boss, but right now. <laughs> but when I had a boss that I had to report to, it would be, like, complaining about my boss and then his boss coming in. And and then my his boss representing me. I mean, he's going to defend right. the person that works for him, not the person that he hired. I mean, it's just the normal course of how things work. Um, so it, it just seems a little unbalanced, and it looks like we need to find some better solutions if the on network, how to help patients if they're dealing with this. The network, uh, I mean, like I said, they do uh, do conference calls is to try to uh, act as the third party, uh, or in some cases go to the actually you know to the facility and act as a third party neutral. Uh, but outside of that, I don't know who represents the patient uh, in the facility other than the facility social worker. And I see your point is that the facility social worker I mean, gets their paychecks from the, you know, who right. they work for. So a true neutral third party, uh, I mean, I say that social workers can provide that service, but it, you're right. The, the network represents both sides of the party, and, and I think that's probably be the optimal neutral situation. The optimal neutral situation. And also, you know, we get calls here at Renal Support Network, and they don't know how to deal with a situation, and it just comes down to basic communication. But they don't know how to express themselves because they're so angry. And then a little molehill turns into a mountain. I mean, there's 18 different networks, and I don't know if they track... You know how many how many people are we talking about? I mean, how many grievances are there a year? How many? Well, there's. And, I mean, just, voluntary discharges. I don't know across the country. I meant to um, to to get some figures, but I, I mean, it's it's probably less than one percent of total patients. I know in Texas, there's a, a little over thirty three, between thirty three and thirty four thousand patients, and uh, the number the the number total discharge is less than you know one percent of the, the, so it's a very small amount uh, of patients you know in, in a the couple big, hundred in, 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 probably across the lot. nation it's, yeah a couple but, hundred uh, but the people that are calling you that are in in those situations and they're unable to find a facility I mean it is a big deal because not only does it um, increase the mortality of the patient. Every time they go to the emergency room, that's a huge cost that um, that you know is is there because there's no other options, and, and so the hospitals get the brunt of these um, these situations once uh, a patient's been discharged. So, in in your experience as a social worker. Um, what what do patients have to do to prevent this? I mean, what are um, three things they can do within their facility? What's well, three things a patient can do to prevent discharge? Um, I think the first thing is to try to establish an open communication with the treatment team from the outset, and that goes also from the treatment team towards the patient. Everyone needs to be on the same page. Uh, I think another thing patients can do is try their best to give the perception that they are following the treatment prescription as best as they possibly can. And if there are issues that come about, then they need to verbalize those to the treatment team and um, don't expect the treatment team to know exactly what's going on unless we can open up. And I guess the third thing a patient can do uh, to prevent involuntary discharge, and I'm kind of on... Is not start a fight. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> well, not starting a fight's a good start because it, 
<laughs> no facility staff uh, need to be feel threatened uh, or another patient in the facility. This is a stressful situation enough, and the dialysis facility needs to be a place to come and get our treatment as best we can and go home. And if there is a potential th- uh, threat of, of violence uh, of any kind in the facility, uh, we cannot have that. And it's just, it's, it's too, right. it's too um, well, There's been volatile. shootings in dialysis units and stabbings. So I, mean, worst... I mean, it doesn't happen. It's only happened, what, less than three or four times, I think, that, that I can recall in my entire uh, um uh, 40 years but uh, that I can recall but there's been you know shootings of doctors and stabbings and I mean healthcare professionals are afraid and they need to have a safe place to go to work and you know I was thinking of one of the suggestions that could help patients and I know that and, and it's interesting because once you've been diagnosed with a kidney disease and you you ask a lot of questions you can be labeled difficult and one of my beefs is is that the difficult patients are the ones who live because we're the ones who are constantly asking and nagging and you know I don't like this or questioning and I think professionals don't understand that or they just want you to we've seen patients that ask a lot of questions and uh, staff that uh, aren't prepared for that oftentimes feel uh, threatened by that because of their own wash your hands you know, no, we're just trying to take care of ourselves. We're not questioning your ability. Right. And uh, that sometimes is a is a cause for conflict that's totally unnecessary because the patients that advocate for themselves, I mean, this is what, um, you know, the CMS and, and, and the network, we want patients to advocate for themselves, right. but we have to have as the provider side to recognize that what that means is asking a lot of questions because... I mean, I know that patients have a lot of anxiety, and they want the best care provided to them, and, you know, their care is just as important as the next person's. So asking a lot of questions, that's what that means oftentimes, and we can't get um, frustrated with a patient because they're, you know, asking these questions. They're asking them for a very specific reason. The pain in the butts live. I mean, (laughs) I'm sure I've been labeled difficult more than one time, Um, and it, it is. And I also know that, you know, the stages of emotion, the longer you're with an illness, you go through all the different emotions. And, you know, anger is really a powerful emotion and it can actually, you know, help you live with illness. I mean, if you can learn how to harness it. And I think a lot of times when you're so angry and overcome with grief, one of the things that I learn is to write a letter. And you may not send it to somebody, but, you know, patients, if you're, you know, if you're listening out there, the people have kidney disease. If you're listening and you're upset at your facility, if you're upset at your nurse, you don't have to send the letter. Just write it. And it helps you get the motions out and then call a friend and try to understand what is, what are the facts and what are the emotions and try to separate the emotions from the facts. And it's hard to do and it's hard to do yourself. So I think the more that we have help for patients to understand how to navigate these feelings and you know, people who are available, uh, the networks, patient services, we have the hope line, we have all kinds of things to just help patients, like point them in the right direction. Like, you know, it's going to be okay. Let's figure out a solution. And instead of letting it escalate to where they're going to get, you know, involuntary discharge. So if you want to learn a little bit more about, you know, your facilities policy, you can just ask the administrator for what the policy is and perhaps um, get in contact with your local network, find out, 
you know, what you can do. I mean, this isn't going to happen to the majority of people, but I think it's a, a good thing to know. And then if you see another patient, you can also provide the information so we can prevent any problems in the future. So I thank you for bringing up this difficult topic about involuntary discharge. Is there anything in closing you'd like to say? Uh, no, again, just thank you very much for allowing me to come and to uh, present on this topic. It is a, it is a, 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 a scary thing for patients to be in this position and uh, to try to uh, open the lines of communications with patients and providers so we can all be on the same page uh, going forward with your treatment. I think that's going to be the best remedy uh, long term for everyone. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. John Q. Gowan, LMSW, has made every effort to provide accurate information on the topic of involuntary discharge of dialysis patients. All of opinions discussed on Kidney Talk May 28, 2009 on this topic are Mr. Gowan's personal opinion and should not be taken as the position of the ESRD Network of Texas, Inc. or the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Services. Patients should always seek the advice of their physician and the interdisciplinary treatment team at their individual dialysis provider regarding questions or concerns about their treatment.